Hello, this is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman of Columbia University, and this is Shrink Speak. To say that the COVID pandemic has produced a crisis that's been unprecedented in all of our lifetimes is an understatement. And among the different things that it has produced in the way of fear of contagion, in the way of sickness of people that we know and love, in the way of loss in some cases, and also in the social and economic disruption, this has evoked a range of emotions in everyone. And it is also going to have an effect that is more enduring than even when the contagion is wrestled to the ground by treatments or a vaccine or herd immunity. And this is going to produce the need for an awareness of the psychological consequences and the need for mental health care to attend to it. Among the range of emotions that people have experienced during the surge and the throes of this epidemic, among anxiety, fear, anger, have also been prominently featured as grief because of the fact that we've lost things. We may have lost loved ones, we may have lost colleagues, and we've certainly lost our way of life and had to adapt to it. So I'm pleased today that we can have really one of the world experts on emotional reactions associated with loss, particularly of interpersonal loss of loved ones, Dr. Catherine Shear. Dr. Shear is the Marion E. Kenworthy Professor of Psychiatry at the Columbia University School of Social Work and in the Medical School Department of Psychiatry. Uh, she's someone who has been regarded as a leading scholar in this area, but more importantly, has an understanding of the clinical application of the empirical research that's been done on grief reactions and how to apply it in a therapeutic way. Kathy, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Let me start out by saying there is not a clear and informed understanding on the part of the general public of the cartography of emotions and emotional reactions to disasters or to loss or to some type of traumatic experience. And you focused among your other work, which is included in mood disorders and anxiety disorders on grief in particular, can you just orient people in terms of the scope of different types of emotional reactions and uh, particularly what happens when there's loss that occasions the grief reactions? Sure. So it's not surprising, actually, that people are unclear about grief because, in fact, it's really not a uniform reaction. So grief is the response to loss, to a meaningful loss. So grief is the response to something, the loss of something that we care about. It's not one thing. It's not simple. It's a complex reaction. It's not just an emotion. Grief is not really an emotion. Some people call it an emotion, but I think scholars think of it as a full body reaction. So there are thoughts, feelings, there are behaviors that we do when we're grieving, and there's physiologic response. And actually, there's a spiritual response very often. If For a person who's religious or spiritual, their grief does affect us that way because it involves death and sort of the universe more widely. What it looks like initially when we lose something right after we lose it, right after we lose someone close, for example, we have a very intense acute reaction with a lot of intense emotions, which are variable. And of course, there's always yearning and longing, and there's always sadness. But then in addition, there can be anger, there can be guilt or remorse, there can be virtually any kind of 
emotion we're capable of experiencing happens. Anxiety is very common as well, happens in the aftermath of a loss. And our thoughts are often very focused on the person who died, how they died, some really on the person who died and all kinds of things about them. And we do things to either take care of ourselves or to honor the person or to try to stay close to the person even though they're gone. So we do a lot of things just related to that loss. After a time, as we adapt to the changes that the loss brings, and of course the biggest one is the loss itself, but if we're talking again about the loss of a person, which is one of the big things that's happening with COVID, then it's not only the person who's gone, but also that almost always leads to a whole range of other kinds of losses or changes, at least in our lives. And so we're going to respond to that as well. And we're going to have to adapt to all of these changes. And as we do, then the loss, of course, it's still there. So you're still going to have some some kind of grief reaction, some kind of feelings and thoughts and behaviors related to the loss of that person. But it's the whole reaction is going to move into the background. It's going to get integrated in your life. We like to say grief emerges naturally after you lose someone and finds a place in your life. And it's really with you essentially for the rest of your life in some form after that. Would a correct metaphor be that it's like uh, when you incur you know, like a wound, you know, like a cut to your your body uh, of your flesh and uh, initially it hurts and then it bleeds and then it has to heal and then you have a scar? I think that's an excellent metaphor. There's emotional reactions to events that are construed as loss, whether it's you know the death of a loved one or whether it's the loss of something that's important, whether it's a divorce with a spouse or some estrangement from a close dear friend or the loss of a job. What distinguishes the grief reaction, which, as you say, is a normative, not emotion, but a psychological process or spiritual process as well, a physical process that people go through, what occasions the elicitation of that as opposed to you know, less elaborate types of psychological reactions? I'm going to answer your question by going back to the metaphor of the wound, because in a way that is a very good metaphor, but there is, there's a way in which it's not so good because the quote-unquote wound of a loss is actually not something that is totally hurtful. It's not just something threatening in a sense. In essence, it contains the love that you have. So we say that grief is the form love takes after someone we love dies. And as such, when the intense emotions recede, when we've adapted to the changes that have been brought and we still have that connection to the person, that can be a very positive thing. So it isn't really just like a scar that is hurtful. So that's actually, I think, one of the big differences then between grief and as a reaction. And that's one of the big differences between grief as a reaction and say, in the emotions like anxiety or depression or anger or whatever that might be a part of the grief reaction, but central to grief, actually. The emotion that's most central, that's really kind of at the heart of grief, is yearning and longing for the person who died or for whatever, for the job that you lost. That's really the hallmark of grief. And that's not something that is, well, it's occasionally seen with other emotional problems, but it's not at the center as it is with. If you experience some traumatic event, it's not something which 
is going to sort of endure with a sense of permanence like the death of a loved one. Uh, as I think about my own experience with having lost my father and my grandparents and other people, it's the permanence as well as the yearning that is the most jarring to cope with. But also in contrast to anxiety or anger or emotional reactions that can occur in response to some crisis, grief is distinct in that it's kind of a uh, internalized program within at least mammalian species and maybe even other uh, forms of life as well. So it's something that nature intended us to be able to utilize under those such circumstances. So grief is something which is normative in terms of the reaction and ultimately can be adaptive, uh, as you point out. Would you say that that's accurate? Yes, absolutely. So in the context of the COVID crisis, where people are experiencing loss in various forms, I mean, there has been a whole set of like mental health first aid guidance to help people get through this with the isolation and with the fear of contagion. And so don't catastrophize, try and put some structure in your day, find a way to decompress any kind of stress that you're having. Don't watch the news 24-7. There's sort of guidance to help you know, people get through this to the extent that uh, someone is going to experience grief as a consequence of what the crisis has brought to them either in the form of a loss of a loved one or something very similar, what kind of guidance can you offer people as to how to, what to utilize in coping with it? Well, that's a great question, Jeff. And, and I think the most important thing is that, like you said, grief is different from other crisis reactions in that it's permanent and also in that it often is, in the end, something that makes us wiser and more empathic with other people. So we, we grow and learn from it as well. So in terms of getting through the more difficult sort of early grief, this is what our work has been about for many years is helping people who are having trouble doing that. And so we've been able to extract seven main themes of things that actually Recently, we've put into an acronym HEALING. The acronym HEALING, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, describes the various milestones that people kind of pass, so to speak, although it's not, it's not a, there's no structure to grief. There's no stages of grief. There's a lot of misconceptions about stages. There really are no stages in grief. But the HEALING, HEALING is an acronym. People sort of if, if you kind of pay attention to those things, and I can outline them if you want, they're also on our website, the Center for Complicated Grief's website, so that people can find them there. And then there are also certain things that can get in the way of adapting, because remember, that's what you have to do in order for the grief reaction to subside. And again, the word derailers is an acronym for the kinds of things to look out for that you might want to just pay attention to during this period so that you can not get caught up in any of the derailers. So it might be worth briefly just mentioning what the each of the letters in the acronym are, are referring to. Sure. So let's do this with the person who died, but it could be it could also be a job that you lost, it could be a divorce, it could be any kind of separation that's meaningful, any kind of loss that's meaningful. But I'll talk about it with respect to a person who's died. So H stands for honoring the person and oneself and yourself by reconnecting, really, or rediscovering your own intrinsic values and interests. 
E stands for easing emotional pain by essentially one of the important things is to let emotions in, to let yourself experience emotional pain and also positive emotions, which can be sometimes hard for people during acute grief. And then A stands for accepting grief, which is a big important thing because sometimes people wonder if they're grieving right or they, they do, they get kind of caught up in ideas that are judging grief. You don't want to judge it. You want to accept grief into your life and let it be, even when it spikes up anytime, just let it be and it will recede and find its place in your life. And then L stands for living with reminders, learning to live with reminders of the person who died because they're often ubiquitous and people might be tempted to avoid them. Sometimes it's reasonable to avoid them for a while, but you don't want to get caught up in avoiding reminders. And then I stands for integrating memories of the person into one's life in a way that those memories can help you learn and grow, as we were talking about, and stands for uh, narrating the story of the death for yourself and sharing it with others. So that's one of that telling the story of the death narrating the story of the death and finding a narrative of that story is one of the important ways that people are able to accept the reality, which is quite important to do. And then G stands for gather people around you, let them in, let them support you and help you. And that again can be difficult sometimes to feel vulnerable and to let people support you. So if you pay attention really to all of those basic principles and make sure that you're kind of moving forward in each of those ways, then let that happen in whatever time frame it does. It's not really, this is not a, a prescription and people do it differently. Each person does it differently. Each person does it differently for each loss even. These exercises or guidance can facilitate the grieving process. You know, even people will apply them you know, differently in their own circumstances and their own sense of loss. But by minding them or following them or utilizing them that can facilitate the process. So you said there's no time frame, but what I'm getting towards is, because I know this is one of your areas of specialization, complicated grief. When does this begin to go on too long or get too bad? And what are the signs that might suggest that it's more than just going through a grieving process for somebody who is close to you and, and therefore will be intense, but hopefully a healthy grieving process? What are the telltale signs that suggest that it's more than that? The issue of how grief gets off track really is that some of the natural response that we all have to grief, we have a bunch of mixed feelings and sort of confusing thoughts in the very beginning. And some of those, they're all very natural and some of those can kind of gain a foothold or they get, it's really when they get too prominent in this process that you start to have problems because you can think of them as standing in the way of the basic thing that you have to do, which is accept the loss and move forward in your own life in a way that you can restore a sense of well-being and a sense of promise for the future. Things that stand in the way of that include getting very caught up, for example, protest, which almost everyone does right after someone dies, we say, no, you know, we didn't want this. It's, it's wrong. It's unfair. It's unjust. It shouldn't have happened. I didn't want it. And if that is usually something that people think and feel and then kind of set aside, but if that starts to kind of be center stage, that's a problem. Or another really common thing, a couple of other really common things like this, one of them is 
what we call counterfactual thinking. That's when we start to think if only something had been done differently, something had happened differently, this wouldn't have happened. We have the capacity, and it's actually an adaptive capacity to imagine the future and imagine alternative scenarios. And it's important to do that whenever something happens that we don't like. But if we get, again, caught up in those if-onlys, then we're not going to be able to accept the reality because we're busy trying to figure out how it didn't have to happen. The other big thing that people tend to do is to want to avoid reminders that the person is gone and not coming back because that's so painful. They want to avoid the the surges in grief and they want to avoid the reality because it's so painful. And so they, they try to avoid reminders. And it's actually by confronting reminders in a in a way that you know that you can tolerate of course but by gradually confronting reminders of the loss is how you understand what the meaning of that loss is in your life so it's really important to make a decision that you know eventually you're going to go to that restaurant that you used to go to all the time or you're going to walk in the park where you used to go with the person that you love or whatever it might be Sometimes people don't even want to look at pictures. They avoid looking at pictures of the person who died. Pretty important to most people to be able to have the positive memories because it's really the positive memories, that positive connection to the person that's going to be what you want to take with you moving forward in your life and what's going to be most helpful in helping you grow and learn in your life. So these are some things to look out for. If these are going on for two or three months after the person died, you want to pay some attention to those because they have the capacity to stop the grieving from moving forward. A lot of times it feels in the moment like this is what's soothing you because it soothes you to think about alternative scenarios, of course, because then the person in your mind hasn't died. But of course, they have in reality. So it's very important to confront that reality and to accept the reality. And so when you start to find that you're doing things to kind of avoid doing that, then you really want to pay attention to that. Now, that doesn't mean that you have complicated grief or what's now, it's now being called prolonged grief disorder in the World Health Organization International Classification of Diseases. And it's in the final stages of consideration for the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual in the US, the American Psychiatric Association. That condition is not diagnosed until at least six months have passed. And, and many people think it should be at least 12 months have, have passed. And what characterizes prolonged grief disorder is that there is pervasive, intense, persistent grief that is interfering with the person's life and is lasting beyond the time that is expected by the person themselves and also by their social environment, by their religious group, their cultural expectations, and again, is interfering with their life. So we're not talking about someone who's still grieving after a year. A lot of people are still grieving after a year. In fact, as I've been saying, we, we grieve for the rest of our lives in one way or another. And sometimes it gets very intense at, at certain times of the year when that serve as reminders of the loss, like family holidays, for example, if you've lost someone close, you're going to have very often a spike in grief. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about persistent, pervasive grief that feels very much like the first few months usually feel. And that's really what characterizes prolonged grief disorder. And what we think, in a sense, causes it is a combination of these very natural 
responses that, but that get a foothold instead of being set aside, these derailers that get a foothold. And the reason they get a foothold has sometimes something to do with the person, the personality of the person or their, you know, their tendency to maybe have trouble managing painful emotions like a history of, of depression or anxiety disorders can make that more likely. But also there are things about the circumstances and the context of the death itself that can increase the likelihood that it will be hard to set those derailers aside. So that's really something to be aware of, especially with COVID is going to do that because there are many sort of risk factors for prolonged grief disorder in the COVID situation. Also, there are so many opportunities for people to experience loss. Boy, when you were going through that, did I see myself in a number of these things, you know, like the protest thing, you know, holding a grudge. How many movies or plays or books have you read where something happens and so the grudge against God, God, I lost my religion because how could he let something like this happen? It strikes me hearing you go through the healing guidance and then these derailers that these are things that most people don't know and healthy grieving normative grieving is such an important part of life and the life cycle that it really would benefit people to be more informed about this in general. So there's guidance for how to manage grief reactions, even in the context of COVID, like there may be for managing other types of painful psychological experiences. But if somebody is grieving and does think that there may be derailers or prolongation or something that's more than proportional to what they would expect, what should they do? Right. Well, they can certainly contact us at the Center for Complicated Grief. That's www.complicatedgrief.columbia.edu. And we have a lot of resources on our website. And we also have many clinicians across the country, really around the world, who are able to provide grief therapy, that is meaningful grief therapy, so we can make those kinds of referrals. And we're just starting a program right now that we hope to grow, which is a series of six weekly combination of seminar. It's a kind of combination seminar support group on Zoom that we're going to be holding for bereaved people. And they can think they're having problems or they can just want to come, you know, sort of early on in the grief process and learn about it. So it'll it'll have this educational component in a way that's sort of explaining what we've been talking about in a little bit more depth and also lots of opportunity to share stories and ask questions and meet some other people who are grieving as well. But that would be accessed again through our center. Right. So I think the take-home message is the fact that while in the context of the COVID crisis, as well as other types of traumatic experiences that people have, a range of emotions will occur. The anger, the depression, the anxiety, the fear that's associated with the things that need to be managed, but to the extent that loss is experienced and the grief reaction is something that would normatively occur, there's a set of guidance that would facilitate people moving through it in a way that's adaptive and ultimately beneficial. And it would behoove people to visit the website that uh, Dr. Shear is describing or seek to educate themselves in other ways about this. And I've certainly learned more than I knew beforehand through the conversation today. So I want to thank you, Kathy, for, for joining us. It's my pleasure, Jeff, and thank you for having me. We've been talking today with Dr. Catherine Shear, who's the Marion E. Kenworthy Professor of Psychiatry at the Columbia University School of Social Work and in the Department of Psychiatry at the Columbia University Bachelor's College of Physicians and Surgeons. Thank you for listening. 
This is Dr. Jeffrey Lieberman, and this has been Shrink Speak. <laughs>